One of the most pivotal moments of all of World War II is the famous Battle of Britain. From July to September of 1941, where Hitler and the Luftwaffe sent wave after wave of bombers to destroy factories, oil storage facilities, airfields, and munition factories. The civilian population of London and the surrounding towns and cities experienced a lot of collateral damage. In retaliation, the Allied forces sent bombing raids over German cities like Berlin, Munich, and Dresden. On the night of August 28th, British bombers struck at German armament factories in the north of Berlin. Some of the planes confused by the low ceiling clouds and inadvertently flying off course dropped their bombs in the center of the city. On the road towards Templehof Airport, William Shire noted in his diary, 200 pound bombs landed in the street, tore off the leg of an air raid warden standing at the entrance to his house and killed four men and two women who were watching the explosion on the globe. Civilians caught in the tragedy of the war. In the afternoon and evening of September 7th, 333 tons of bombs were dropped in London. The docks were the principal target, but many bombs fell off the residential areas around them. 448 Londoners were killed. The bombers dropped their bombs on some of the poorest and most overcrowded streets of London. Their slum buildings and tenement houses more vulnerable than most of the pounding of bombs and the ensuing fires. On the afternoon of September 8th, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill was taken to an air raid shelter in the east end of London, where 40 people had been killed the previous night. It was good of you to come, Winnie, survivors called out to him as they crowded around. We thought you would come. We can take it. Give it back to him. Civilians caught in the tragedy of war. Civilians also showed incredible glimpses of empathy for those considered to be the enemy. On the night of September 12th, one German bomber crew on its way back after a raid crashed into a house in Newport. As the house caught fire, a 14-year-old Jewish girl, Myrtle Phillips, was trapped in the flames. Her 17-year-old brother, Malcolm, rushed back into the flames to bring her out. Both of them perished. Their father, a convicted pacifist, visited the German pilot, who alone of a crew of four had survived the crash in a local hospital. To assure him that the tragic deaths of his children was not his fault, but part of the many horrific injustices of war. Civilians caught in the tragedy of war. The Second World War was truly a global conflict. In the South Pacific, American and Allied forces fought against soldiers from the Japanese Empire who were entrenched upon all the small islands. Tarawa Atoll, which is one of three atolls in the Gilbert Isles, lies almost halfway between Hawaii and Papua New Guinea. On November 20th, 1943, more than 5,000 Japanese defenders met a similar number of American attackers on the beaches. At the end of 76 hours of savage fighting, only one Japanese officer, 16 soldiers, and 129 Korean laborers were still alive. A 1,000 Americans, one-fifth of the invading force, had been killed in overcoming the fanatical resistance of the 5,000. The Battle of Tarawa greatly shocked American opinion, indicating, as it did, how costly the total defeat of Japan would be. 
nor was it a shock confined to statistics. Newspaper photographs of American corpses floating with the tide or piled up on the beaches next to burned out landing craft shocked an American public which had hitherto been protected by censorship from such scenes. Civilians caught in the tragedy of war. On Macon Island, another atoll in the Gilbert Isle group, the Native Islanders were joyous in their welcome of the American liberating force. Lieutenant Clarence B. Selden, the Navy beachmaster, later recalled meeting a Native chief who said to him in one single breath, I am so glad you have come. We have waited many months. We are happy you have come. May get your men coconuts. <laughs> Civilians caught in the tragedy of war. January 27, 1944, saw 800 American bombers strike at industrial targets in the German city of Frankfurt on the main river. 50 out of the 800 bombers were shot down. As Allied airmen were shot down over Germany and France, the civilian resistance fighters were instrumental in keeping escape lines open. So confident were airmen that these escape lines would help them that when on January 25th, a British flying officer, H. Furness Rowe, was shot down over France for the second time in five months, he sent back a final radio message from his cockpit to his base in England. Back in two months, he was back, in, in fact, only three weeks later, than the, than the date he set himself. On January 29th, a new Allied escape organization, codenamed Shelburne, involved a motorboat run from the Channel Port of Dartmouth to the French beach resort of Pluha. In the five months before Shelburne was discovered by the Germans, 135 Allied airmen were brought back to Britain. The first 19 were 13 American and four British and two French civilians who wanted to join the Allied forces. Far to the south, in the island of Greece, another incredible escape line was established by a man named A.C. Tony Simmons. The escape line utilized small boats winding their way among the Greek islands. Brought to safety in Turkey, more than 700 people in December 1943 and January 1944. The 700 including four, included 425 Greeks, 121 Britons, 41 Jews, and 39 Americans, as well as several hundred wounded Allied soldiers taken off the German-occupied islands of Kos, Leros, and Samos. Civilians caught in the tragedy of war. The ongoing conflict in Afghanistan doesn't receive a lot of news coverage here in Canada. We pulled out our troops in December of 2011. Unfortunately, the conflict rages on. Just like we've heard in the readings from World War II, the civilian population takes most of the blow. People living in the war zone have been killed in their homes, in markets, and on roadways. They've been killed by bombs, bullets, fire, improvised explosive devices, IEDs, and drones. Civilians die at checkpoints as they're run off the road by military vehicles. When they step on a mine or a cluster bomb, as they collect wood or they tend to their fields, and when they are kidnapped and executed for purposes of revenge or intimidation. Civilians caught in the tragedy of war. The picture up on the screen is from Kabul, Afghanistan, this past summer. The picture was taken Monday, July 29th, after an attack. And as you can see, it is a housing complex. It's not a military target. 
At the 2019 Inter-African Dialogue in Doha earlier in July, Afghan leaders vowed to reduce civilian casualties to zero. Everyone heard the message loud and clear from Afghan delegates in the Doha talks, reduce civilian casualties to zero, exclamation mark, said Taramichi Yamamoto, the United Nations Secretary General's Special Representative for Afghanistan and head of the United Nations Assistance Mission in Afghanistan, or shortened up UNAMA. We urge all parties to heed this imperative, to answer the call of Afghans for immediate steps to be taken to reduce the terrible harm being inflicted on our civilians. Most casualties, about 52%, continue to be caused by anti-government elements, including the Taliban, according to the report. On-the-ground fighting remained the leading cause of casualties at about one-third of the total with improvised explosive devices responsible for 28% and airstrikes contributing about 14%. Women continue to be disproportionately harmed and among the 3,812 casualties, approximately one-third were children. Parties to the conflict may give differing explanations for recent trends, each designed to justify their own military tactics said Richard Bennett, UNAMA's human rights chief. The fact remains that only determined effort will decrease the suffering of civilian casualties. Civilians caught in the tragedy of war. Thank you to our four readers, Mariah, Robert, Brenda, and Manny, for really giving us a glimpse into the circumstances and mindset of civilians caught up in the hell of war. What does it mean to follow Jesus in the midst of the fear, destruction, and death of wartime and conflict? I was drawn to Jesus' words recorded in John chapter 14 this week as I pondered that question. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Many, many Christian believers down through history and wartime circumstances have based their hope and their strength on Jesus and his promise of peace. At first reading, we might take a skeptical view and say, wow, come on, Jesus lived almost 2,000 years ago. He had no idea humanity would endure something as horrific as World War II and the Holocaust. That's a really nice sentiment that Jesus' peace could be inside of us, but it's really not reality. When you're in the midst of it, your, your house, your air raid shelter is being bombed, or you're living in fear of roadside explosives or the Taliban in modern-day Afghanistan, we might be tempted to write Jesus' words off as kind of pie-in-the-sky or unrealistic. 
But I want you to listen this morning to the words of a Dutch woman, Corrie ten Boom, who courageously hid many Jewish people in her home. None of the Jews that she and her family hid were caught, but she and her family were caught. They were sentenced to the Ravensbrück concentration camp to endure the absolute worst suffering imaginable. Listen to her powerful words. She says, I've experienced his presence in the deepest, darkest hell that men can create. I have tested the promises of the Bible. And believe me, you can count on them. So we have it on good authority from someone who endured it that Jesus' promise of peace is real and powerful. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. That's an incredible promise that the Holy Spirit of God does indeed dwell inside us. And in those worst moments can bring Jesus' words to mind. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Part of the reason that Jesus' words continue to resonate and be such a source of strength for civilians enduring war is that Jesus himself went through a type of war. He wasn't in conflict with human beings. He was here to fight the battle against sin and death and the devil on our behalf. Jesus willingly gave his life on a cruel Roman cross, enduring the worst torture that human beings could dish out. And yet forgave them with the immortal words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus rose three days later, victoriously defeating his enemies. Listen to the words of Bible scholar R.V.G. Tasker. Jesus' friends, the disciples, have much tribulation to endure in the days that lie ahead, for they will be believers in the midst of an unbelieving world. But because of what he is about to do for them, they will also experience, as they remain united with him, inward peace and courageous joy, born of the certainty that he has won the victory over sin and death. Incredible words. That's the key. Knowing Jesus is the one who provides victory over sin and death. Knowing him as the one who guides us, helps us direct our lives. When you and I tap into that relationship with Jesus, then we get the incredible promise of his peace that fills our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Even when we endure awful things. It's been true for Christian believers in wartime, and it is true for you and I in peacetime. The world may give outward pleasure, physical rest and enjoyment, honor and wealth, but never that inner reassurance, which is the reflection of the smile of God in the heart of his child. We do this remembrance service every year to connect two things. The sacrifice of our fellow Canadians for our political freedom that we enjoy. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who purchased our victory over sin, death, and the devil. As we are reminded today, Jesus offered to know each human being individually, give them his peace in every circumstance that we find ourselves is open to anyone 
from any country in any situation. My encouragement to myself and to all of us this morning is to choose it. We need to tap in to the peace that Jesus offers. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid.